Let us pray as we go into our message for today. Our Father, we want to invite you now once again to be with us as we open your word and as we study together. Lord, we pray that you will speak to us, that you will meet us at our point of need, that your spirits will be with us and you will invite us to hold your hand and follow you wherever you lead us, Lord. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your presence with us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is a beautiful Sabbath day, and I am very happy to have you worshiping with us at Dubai Central Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are continuing a series that we have been doing for quite a few months already. It's the Amazing Facts Bible Study Guides, and today we are doing Lesson 19, I believe it is. And it is entitled, The Final Judgment. So I pray that we can be blessed as we study together and as we go together through this series. If you want to see some of the past studies that we have done, you can visit on our website, dubaiadventist.org forward slash amazing facts. You can actually do all the lessons by yourself. And if you want to listen to some of the past studies, then you can go to Anchor FM. Uh, you search for SEA Church, and there you will also find the past studies that we have done. At the moment, I think it is only posted until Lesson 11, but we are processing the last lessons that we have done in these past few weeks, and it will be up there pretty soon. So let's go into our Bible study for today. We are talking about this final judgment, and so the first question that we want to discuss is, are the judgments of Daniel 7 and the cleansing of the sanctuary of Daniel 8 related. When are these things happening? If you have a good memory, we have been talking maybe two, three weeks ago, we talked about Daniel 7, and then last week we talked about Daniel 8. So are these things related? Well, first, let's just read the text. In Daniel 7, 25 and 26, we read, He will speak against the Most High and oppress His holy people, try to change the set times and laws The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. If you have a good memory, you can still remember what this time, times, and half a time means. I hope. If you don't remember, you can go back to YouTube and you can check maybe two, three weeks ago. We had that study, and you can see that in the Bible, this this phrase is equal to 42 months, it's equal to 1,260 days, and uh, from the study that we did together, that time is finishing in the year 1798. So, if that is correct, then it means that after that time, some judgment happens in heaven. We're not reading the whole chapter 7, but... If you are there in Daniel chapter 7, you see that this judgment is happening in heaven. This is not happening on earth. So sometime after the year 1798, something happens in heaven and that judgment results on the enemies of God being destroyed. Then as we move to the book of Daniel in chapter 8, we read verses 13 and 14. Then I heard a holy one speaking. And another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the, and the trampling on their foot of the Lord's people? 
he said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. If you remember our study last week, we were tracing this prophecy and how Daniel 8 relates to Daniel chapter 9, how chapter 9 explains to us the beginning of this vision. And then we realized that these 2,300 evenings and mornings is same thing as 2,300 days or uh, prophetic days, literal years. And it goes all the way to the year 1844. Now, if you know how to count from 1798 to 1844, there is not a lot of difference. These times are very close to one another. And so in Daniel chapter 7, we are told that after the year 1798, some judgment happens in heaven. And here in Daniel chapter 8, we are told that after the year 1844, some cleansing or some reconsecrating is happening in the sanctuary in heaven because the sanctuary on earth is, is not there anymore. So logically, these two things would have something to do in common. And that was uh, one of the last comments that we made last week. And if you revisit the chat that we have been showing time and time again, the prophetic lines in the book of Daniel do show that these things are parallel. In Daniel chapter 7, the judgment, and in Daniel chapter 8, the purification of the sanctuary, they are talking more or less about the same event from different angles. And this is also related to the stone, to the coming of Jesus Christ. So, yes, definitely, Daniel chapter 7 and 8 are related, and these are some events in heaven that are happening before the coming of the Lord. Now, question number two, who will be examined in this judgment, this, uh, this judgment that happens in heaven, this cleansing of the sanctuary that happens in heaven? Who are the people involved? If you read in the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 12, this is what Jesus says. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. So obviously, when Jesus Christ comes, that is the time when he gives rewards to people. That is why before we have studied that when people die, they die. <laughs> when people die, they are dead. They are not in heaven. They are not in hell. They are just dead. Because it is when Jesus comes that he will give a reward to people. If people, when they die, they already have their reward in heaven or they have their reward in hell, then what's the point of Jesus coming? It's, it's just a waste of heavenly time and heavenly resources. You know, the effort that it will take to move all of those angels, travel all the way, come to this earth, sound the trumpets and all the rest. Man, that takes a lot of heavenly resources. So God doesn't work like that. There is no one, uh, there is no dead saint in heaven already, um, because the saints that are there, they, they, well, Moses did die, but he was resurrected. Elijah was taken alive. Enoch was taken alive. There is nobody in hell. The rewards, Jesus is saying, those rewards are coming when he comes. So before Jesus comes, there must be some sort of judgment, and that is what Daniel 7 is talking about. That is what Daniel 8 is talking about. There is a, a process of judgment in heaven before Jesus comes, so that when he comes, it is very clear what reward, what consequence is going to, give it, to be given for each person. Now, 
John chapter 3, verse 16, I believe is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. But if you move only two verses after, we find verse 18, and here we read, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So even though everybody is going to be examined in this judgment before Jesus comes to earth, there is no need to have any thorough examination of the people who have not believed in Jesus because they have excluded themselves already. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So if you don't do anything to remedy that, that's it. You get what, what you deserve. You sinned, you die. Finished. But if you believed in Jesus... If you trusted in Jesus, if you have accepted Jesus, then your life will come through this um, judgment so that it will be seen, okay, does this person actually believe? Is he, are, are, his, are his sins actually covered by the blood of the Lamb? Or he believed for a minute and then he uh, left and forgot about it. The same thought is expressed in Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So again, when the Lord is having that heavenly judgment, there is no need to look into any detail to the people who have not believed in Jesus. They are already condemned. There is nothing to look for. You are a sinner. You deserve death. Alas, nothing to look for. But in that judgment that happens before Jesus comes, it is the lives, the lives of you and me, assuming that you are a believer in Jesus. Um, it is our lives. God and the angels and, and the heavenly intelligences will check, okay, has this person remained in Jesus? If so, your sins are covered and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Otherwise, well, the judgment will reveal what is happening there. Question number three, who presides on this judgment? Who is the judge? Who is the defense attorney? Who is the accuser? And you would think, well, the Bible is not going to give us all those details. Well, guess what? It does. So they are not all in one book or in one passage. But if you read through the Bible, you can get the details. So in that scene of judgment in Daniel chapter 7, we can read verses 9 and 10. As I looked... Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of uh, fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened." So the person that is presiding on this judgment is none other than this ancient of days. Now, by the language and the symbolism, you can see that this is God. He is the one who sits on the throne and uh, thousands of thousands of angels are surrounding him. Now, how about the actual judge? Not, the, not just the one who is presiding, but the one who will be handling the day-to-day -day activities of that court. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. 
So even though the Father is ultimately responsible for everything that happens in the judgment, He has given the authority to judge to the Son. So you could say that the Father is the one presiding, but the Son is the actual judge. Let's read in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So <laughs> you can see that Jesus is your judge, but he's also your advocate. He is the one who speaks on your behalf. He is the one who intercedes for you. So like I was saying before, in the time of the Sabbath school, you don't need to outsource your prayers and you don't need to be praying to saints or dead people or whatever. You can pray directly to God and Jesus asks us to pray in his name. And whatever we ask in his name, he will do it because he is our advocate. He is the one who speaks on our behalf to the Father. So God the Father is the one presiding. Jesus Christ is the judge. But Jesus Christ is also our defense lawyer. Now talk about having influences in this judgment. I believe we're looking pretty good so far. Book of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Here we have the accusing lawyer. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. We are not reading the verses before and after, but he's talking about the great serpent, the dragon, Satan. He is the one who accuses. So in this judgment, God is there, but the Bible tells us that God the Father himself loves us. Jesus is there, and he loves us so much that he gave his life for us. He is also our defendant, and there is only one person who is against us, and he is the devil, and he was already defeated in heaven, and he will continually be defeated in front of God. So I don't know about you, but when I see judgment at first, oh, judgment, that cannot be a good word. But when I see the people who are involved and how much they love me, how much they have done for me, then heavens begins to look like pretty good news. And that's why every time in the Bible you find people, actually in the book of Psalms, time after time, the psalmist is praying to God, please judge me, avenge me from my enemies. Come in my defense, because that is what biblical judgment does for God's people. God comes and he delivers his people. He saves his people. Question number three, what is the source of evidence used in this judgment? So there is a heavenly judgment happening before Jesus comes. What sort of evidence will be seen there? By what standard are we going to be judged? And also, since God already knows everything about every person, What's the point? Why would you have a judgment at all? Well, let's go to the Bible and let's look for answers in the scriptures. In the book of Daniel, chapter 10 and verse 7, we already read it, but let's, let's read it again. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. Can you finish that sentence for me? And... The books were opened. God knows everything. So obviously these books are not for the benefit of God. 
Um, we are all familiar with the tradition that the, our guardian angels, they write things and all the rest. Do you think they are writing to give God a report that God doesn't know? The reason for these books that the Bible mentioned is that these books are going to be used in the judgment. And this judgment, again, is not for the benefit of God. God knows everything. He doesn't know, oh, should I save Andy or should I not save him? Let me go back to the books and have a look. He is not the one benefited by this judgment. These books are there for other people. And we'll go there in just a moment. Now, in James chapter 2 and verse 12, it gives us what is the basis of the judgment. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. So the standard for God's judgment is his law. So have a look at the Ten Commandments. Have you kept the Ten Commandments? Then you're good in God's judgment. Have you broken the Ten Commandments? Then you're cooked. Have you believed in Jesus? Then you're covered by the blood of the Lamb. You know, this is easy. The Bible is not beating around the bush. Easy stuff, straightforward, very easy to comprehend and to be able to make a choice and to see on which side we want to stand. Now, I want to show you this text in the book of Revelation so that you can see who are the ones who benefit from the judgment. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 to 4. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven. Where is the multitude? The multitude is in heaven, but Jesus has not come yet. So this is God's unfallen children in heaven. They are shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are... Can you finish the sentence? Are what? His judgment. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! If you keep reading in, in chapter 19, you can see that eventually all of heavens joins in this praising of God and they are praising God because his judgments are true and just. Think about it. God has invested so much of himself to save the people on this tiny planet, insignificant planet. But this is not the only children that God has. God has many angels, many other things that he has created. Um, and the Bible is very clear on that. We don't have to go into details now. But um, there, are, there are many other things that God has created beside this planet, before he created this planet. And these are the, this multitude in heaven. And they are giving thanks to God because they can see that, yeah, he did believe. And he did trust in Jesus. And his life was changed. And his sins were forgiven and he struggled and he failed, but he stood up and he failed, but he stood up. He trusted in Jesus. He allowed the Lord to change him. So, yeah, bring him on. Welcome him home. Save him. Take him to heaven. Bring him to us. The benefits, the beneficiaries of this first phase of judgment before Jesus comes are the children of God in heaven. Now, let's go to question number four. What portion of a person's life is considered in this judgment? What will be confirmed? How will the rewards be decided? 
So we are always going to the Bible, book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So in this judgment, everything is going to be recorded. Well, everything is recorded, but everything is going to be examined. Whether you think that was a secret, whether you think nobody was watching, the intentions of the heart, the motives. You see, many times we misjudge people because we see only the outside. But God knows everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows our intentions. He knows our emotions. And in this judgment, everything will be brought in, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Another text I want to read with you is Matthew 19, verses 16, sorry, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. You see, salvation is by grace, but the judgment is by your actions. What did you do? Did you believe in Jesus? Did you accept Jesus? When you fell into sin, did you repent? Did you go back to God? Did you try to stay close to God? Did you abandon your faith? Did you reject what the Holy Spirit was trying to do in your life? Did you say, ah, man, I don't want to hear about this thing anymore. Just leave me alone. I want to live my life and I want to be happy. I want to have a good time. And then you had a good time for half an hour, two hours, three hours, and then you felt horrible. What happened in your life? This is what this judgment is going to reveal. Question number five. What is the next phase of the judgment? What is the purpose of this second phase? So the first phase happens before Jesus comes. And then he comes. He takes his children to heaven. But as the children of God are in heaven, then we come to what is written in the book of Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. So when Jesus comes uh, God's people who are dead, they will be resurrected. God's people who are alive, they are taken to heaven. And according to this text, they are seated on thrones and they begin to judge. What are they judging? We don't know yet. It's, it's, um, it's not clear in this verse. But there is another phase of judgment that happens by God's children in heaven during the thousand years. Let's read another text. First Corinthians chapter six, verses two to three. Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Now, this text is very interesting because this text is telling us about two specific things that we will judge. We will judge the world and we will judge angels. 
By simple elimination, if God's people have already been judged before they are taken to heaven, now it is a time to judge those who were not taken to heaven. Now it is time for God's people to judge the world, and now it is time for God's people to judge the angels. Why? Because we will have many questions. Suppose that I get to heaven, I will not see my father there. My, my father was a huge example for me. I know he wasn't perfect, but he was a, a huge example and a huge influence for me. So if I get there and I don't see my dad there, I will have questions. And I will want to see why. I will want to see how. I will want to say, we also maybe want to see how on earth I made it and he did not. So that is why God will give permission to his saints to judge the world and to even judge the angels. They will have a chance to ask the questions. And this is the opportunity for the saved to see why the lost were lost. Now, let's continue moving. Question number six. When will the last phase of judgment happen? So, so far we have one phase of judgment happens before the coming of the Lord. It involves God's people. A second phase of judgment, it involves the lost, the reviewing of the lights of the lost, whether humans or angels. And it happens during the thousand years. Now there is a third and final phase. And uh, when is this happening? We will read in the Bible, in the book of Revelation again, chapter 20. Verses 7 to 8. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore. So this is something that is happening when the 1,000 years are over. Now, there is a very important text about judgment that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 um, to help us understand this final phase of judgment. Here says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So far, the lost people have not had the opportunity to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The righteous were judged before they were taken to heaven. The lost people were judged by the saints, but now the lost people will be judged in the presence of God. And this is that last phase of judgment. Question number eight, what is that last phase of judgment? What does it entail? The answer is written in the book of Revelation chapter 20, Verses 11 to 15. These are a little bit long, but please bear with me as we read together. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. So same like in the first judgment, same as in the second judgment, in this third judgment, books were there. Not for the benefit of God, but for the benefit of those who are participating in the judgment. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. 
Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is a second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So that last phase of judgment entails the destruction of everybody who has not accepted what God wanted to do for them. So the first phase of judgment before Jesus returns lets the unfallen children of God see that the judgments of God are true. The second phase of judgment during the millennium lets the saved children of God see that God's judgments are true. And the last phase of judgment after the millennium lets the lost see that God's judgments are true. That's why we read um, in Revelation chapter 20, chapter uh, 19, that all of heaven is shouting and rejoicing and giving praise to God. And they are saying, your judgments are righteous. They are true. Now, what is the result of God's judgment? Here, I want to take you to the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and to 11. Therefore, God exalted him, this is talking about Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you remember, that war that began in heaven was fought between Michael, who is Jesus Christ, not created, the eternal Son of God, and Satan. That was the war between Satan and Jesus specifically. But at the end of God's judgment, after that judgment that happens before Jesus comes, after that judgment that happens during the thousand years, after that last phase of judgment, before the unholy, the, the lost people are finally consumed, the result is that every knee will bow. We will acknowledge the saved by God's grace. We will acknowledge that God's judgments are true. The angels, the saved angels, the holy angels will acknowledge that God's judgments are true. But even the lost angels, because even speaks about those who are under the earth, even the lost angels, every knee will confess that God's judgments are true, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that there was no need and no justification into Satan rebelling against Christ and against God. There is another text I want to read for you. What's the result of this judgment? Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. 
the results of God's judgment is that sin is completely eliminated, both in reality, but also from the hearts and the intentions of God's people. Their tears will be wiped, their sadness will be taken away, because we will all lose somebody whom we love in that final judgment. Maybe somebody who did not accept Christ, a friend, a family member. But the time will come when God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Everything will be in the past and things will be made new. Question number nine. How did the Day of Atonement symbolize this judgment and God's plan to eradicate sin from the universe? This is what we talked about last week, and I want to tie up as we finish this so that you can see how amazingly the pieces of the puzzle fit together, how God had revealed to his people in the Old Testament, in symbols, in parables, what he intends to do in the future. Book of Leviticus chapter 16, I will not read the whole chapter, but I just want to read a few verses with you. Um, when Aaron has finished making atonement, I want you to notice this. When Aaron has finished making atonement, remember that on the day of atonement, there were two goats and one goat was a goat for God. By the time that we are reading now, this goat has been already um, sacrificed and the blood has been brought inside the tabernacle and, and the high priest has cleaned with that blood all the tabernacle and he's now coming out. And that's why it says when Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat. Remember, without the shedding of, of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This goat is live and confess over it all the wickedness and the rebellion and, of the Israelites, all their sins and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord... You will be clean, clean from all your sins. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. So on that day of atonement, God would cleanse through that first goat. God will cleanse all the sins of God's people. And then a second God, a live one, would be taken. The sins would be symbolically dumped on that goat. And he would go not to pay for forgiveness. He will just perch away. This is a, a waste disposal mechanism. He is just taking away from God's camp the sin and the rebellion of God's people. Now, does that have anything to do with Christ and the way and the plan that God has to deal with sin? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us, oh yes, big time. Chapter 9, verses 24 to 28. He says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven himself, now to appear for us in God's presence. 
nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So as the priest would come out of the temple in the Old Testament and he would then purge the sins of God people and he would send that goat away. In that same way, Jesus is coming back. He will effect the salvation of his people and then he will punish and uh, put all the penalty of the sins of God's people on Satan and he will be sent away. He will be killed because at the end of the day, Satan is responsible for all the sins that were committed. He committed the first sin and he tempted everyone to sin. So that was the symbolism between these two goats. One goat brings salvation for God's people. The other God carries the penalty of the sin. So Jesus Christ gives us salvation through his dead, but Satan is punished for all the judgment and all the um, suffering, sorry, that he has brought onto God's people and unto God himself. Now, question number 10, how is the judgment good news? Well, I believe by now you already have some pretty good idea of why is the gospel good news, but I want to share with you a couple of texts. The court will sit, his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms of the heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. He's talking about Jesus. Now, if you follow Jesus, the Bible is clearly telling you the judgment is going to be given for you. So there is nothing for us to fear in this judgment. The, the verdict is done. Revelation 22 verses 3 to 5. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. These are beautiful promises that will happen as a consequence of God's judgment. You do not have to be afraid of God's judgment. There is one last passage that I want to read um, to you about the judgment and how you should feel about that judgment. And this is one of my favorite passages. is in the book of Romans chapter 8. Paul says, what then? What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave it up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? 
It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, he is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is God's word for you today. There is nothing for you to fear. There is absolutely nothing for you to fear because God has already done everything, both to show you what will happen in this judgment and to show you the end of this judgment, God's people receive the kingdom and they have absolutely nothing to fear. So I have only one last question left for you. You have nothing to fear about God's judgment if you invite Jesus into your life and take him as your Lord and Savior. Will you invite him to enter today? You see, all these things that I have been sharing with you is what God has written in the Bible. If you believe in him, you have eternal life. If you believe in him, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because yes, the wages of sin is death. Yes, those who rebel against God will perish. But we don't have to. You see, there is a story that has been told so many times and in so many ways, but it goes something like this. There is a guy in the sea, and he is just about to drown. And he begins to pray, God, save me. And he, he is quite certain. He has faith. God, save me. I know you will save me. You always listen to my prayers. A swimmer comes by and he sees him that he's sort of struggling. And the swimmer tells him, hey, do you need some help? I, I, can, I can pull you out. And he says, no, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. God, I'm trusting in you. God, save me. Then a boat comes by. The boat sees him struggling. And the people in the boat tell him, hey, you need some help. We can take you to shore. He says, no, 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 fine. Thank you. I'm okay. And he continues to pray, God, I know that you will save me. Save me. A rescue helicopter comes by. Hey, they shout with the, with the loudspeakers. Hey, do you need help? We can throw the rope. You can climb up and we can take you to the shore. He says, no, I'm okay. It's okay. Go ahead. I'm fine. He continues to gasp and to pray, God, save me. The story says that eventually the guy drowned. And he faces God and he tells him, Lord, what happened? I was praying. You didn't save me. Now, of course, you know what God told him, right? The swimmer, the boat, the helicopter. You see, 
I want you to listen very carefully to what I will say. Nobody will be saved, sorry, nobody will be lost because of their sins. Nobody will be saved because of doing good things either. Nobody will be lost because of their sins. People will be lost because of rejecting what God did for them in the life of Jesus Christ. Because people want to be saved, but they want to be saved their way. God save me, and you have to save me my way. You have to save me in the way that I say, with the beliefs that I want, with the lifestyle that I want. You need to save me that way. But God has sent his swimmer. God has sent his boat. God has sent his helicopter. And that is called Jesus Christ. He lived, he died, he resurrected. Salvation is freely available for you today. So would you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I want to invite you, if you are, if you are watching now live, write on the comments, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to challenge you. Take that step of faith. Maybe for the first time in your life, maybe for the 20th time in your life. But I want you to respond to the message that God is giving you today through me. Do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Please respond on the comments. I also want to remind you, next week, by God's grace, we are planning to have a baptism. Is the Lord has been, has he been calling you? Has, been, has he been inviting you to make a choice to follow him? I want to invite you. If you hear his voice, do not put it off. Because when God speaks, that is the time to act. When you hear something from God, don't wonder, should I act now? Yes. That's why he's speaking now. If the time was some other time, he would speak at that time. But if God is telling you in your heart, I want you to follow me, and I want you to follow me now, don't put it off. May God bless you. May God strengthen you. Again, my invitation for you today is to follow Jesus Christ, to make him your Lord and Savior. And if you have not been baptized, to make the commitment to God, I will be baptized, Lord. I accept your invitation. Maybe next week, as we are planning, maybe later. But I want to invite you to let us know, let me know, let the church know in the comments, write it in the comments, or send us a, a message directly about your decision, what you want to do. Remember, that judgment, it will happen. It will happen. And it will be based on your choice, not on what you do. Because it's not about what you do. If it is about what you do, you are doomed. Same like me. The wages of sin is death. But the question is, do you accept the salvation that God has given in Jesus? That's the question. Our, last, our next message is entitled, The Mark of the Beast. So if you are interested, please um, be with us in the next week as we worship together. Now, 